0: It's been incredibly fun. I mean, yeah, we are clearly starting a goal down for a lot, but the comebacks have been amazing. Goal down, two goals down. Yeah, that that, that game was ridiculous, but I mean, really, uh, to come back and win it in such completely unfussy, dominant fashion was really nice to see. And just absolutely brilliant goals in that Stoke game. And,
1: and, And all three of the strikers on the pitch getting on the old sheet... Yeah, which is good to see, and I thought uh, actually all three of them were very, very good for Van Persie and Welbeck. And uh, although I'd say none of them actually really played as traditional strikers, there's an awful lot of flexibility in that formation. It, it really worked for United in an attacking sense, and once again, the worry will be at the back, and United's pretty open midfield still, uh, allowing pressure to be put on uh, the back four, and, and that caused a real problem. I mean, it did indeed. And not, not
0: so much the defenders defending, as it were, in that, in that first game, although we'll come back to that with Braga. I mean, R- Rio was kind of at fault for the second Stoke goal, wasn't he? He was sort of shoved out of the way rather ingloriously. But the, the defending as a team was problematic and, and that midfield duo just, just not doing the job
1: in the Stoke game. Right, and we've spoken about this before. It's a recurring theme, isn't it? It's very easy just to point the fingers at the back four, and, and uh, yes, Rio was exposed for one of those goals. It's not often that he's kind of physically beaten, but I guess as his legs get older and he ages, that that might happen more often, or it appears to be happening more often. But I think you're right. It's a it's a team issue. It's a structure of United's midfield, and Ferguson's tried to fix it by playing an extremely narrow midfield at times. That that wasn't quite the case against Stoke, but uh, at times in recent matches he's done that, and it. it allows United to provide a little bit more protection in front of the back four and there are of course sacrifices involved with that it all comes down to the fact that there still isn't the right balance in midfield and Ferguson's making compromises as a result would we have these problems if Paul Scholes and Roy Keane of 10 years ago were in a duo in in United's midfield would we be worrying about playing a diamond in midfield or playing three no I don't think we would And, and we wouldn't have the same defensive problems either no matter what the personnel in the back four.
0: No, I mean, the, the line-up against Stoke, I don't think many people would have had too many complaints about it before the game. Not not a particularly experimental formation. Carrick and Skulls in the middle, Rooney behind Van Persie, Welbeck on the left, Valencia on the right, ostensibly. Right. Of, of course, enormous flexibility in Van Persie, Rooney and Welbeck, as was shown by the fact they kept crossing the ball to each other for spectacular goals. Wonderful, wonderful goal-scoring stuff from United and, and and to bang in four was just sort of weirdly emphatic and great. Uh, three, three of those goals came from Rooney, of course. Uh, he had a bit of a mare with the own goal early on in the match and, you know, maybe he should have done a bit better. He, he was, it was a slightly questionable one. A, a decent set-piece, but Stoke should never have had that set-piece. Skulls with a, a wild
1: tackle. No no need whatsoever for that, really. Well, we've heard, we've heard that one over the last 20 years ways we so I think Rooney was the first player to score at both ends for United since David Beckham won 10 years ago random stat for you but uh, yeah a little, little bit odd there uh, but look fine attacking performance from him skulls not a great defensive performance it just it never is these days and and he leaves Carrick exposed as well and and that's look, that really isn't trying to say anything negative about either player because we know how great both Carrick and skulls are on the ball and I think Carrick actually does a, a fine job defensively but the setup's not conducive to him doing his best job that is a real problem and I don't know how Ferguson fixes this he can keep uh, trying different combinations in the middle and, and trying to fudge the formation too but there's going to be a compromise somewhere because yeah frankly no matter the numbers there is a lack of quality there
0: I mean, I, I sort of broadly agree with you, but I, there's a couple of things. First of all, you know, that, that Stoke game, and kind of somewhat freakish, the Stoke goals, both of them. And for the whole rest of the time, apart from that two times we score, they scored, we completely bossed the game and destroyed them. 64% possession is a, a lot, you know, it's a lot for United, isn't it, to have 64% possession across the game.
1: United are increasing the levels of possession generally so on average over the season it's more than 55% which is, is a big number for United right? so it's not Barcelona-esque but uh, it's it's an increase and in fact the the, the for weird random stats uh, United uh, has the shortest average pass in the league at the moment so you know that kind of tells you a little bit about the style of football United are playing but it's there's too many games where United are conceding quote freak goals for it to be a coincidence Oh yeah, yeah I, sorry I but United are in the position that that's happening to them.
0: Oh, no, no, you're, you're absolutely right. There's obviously a, a defensive problem at United, but I think also that, that both both the Stoke game and the Braga game have slightly slightly different problems that led to the defensive problem. A- against Stoke, it was the porousness of that kind of midfield, which my old boss has started describing in emails to me as a suicide midfield. That's that was the problem against Stoke. A- against Braga, the problem was very much Carrick at centre back, which is hugely problematic, and it
1: has been every time he's played there, basically, yeah.
0: There was a brilliant quote from Fergie before the game where he's like, oh, you know, Canucks played there a lot now, and it's like, yes boss, but it's been absolutely abysmal every time it's
1: happened, you know. A lot of people said that perhaps Scott Wooden should have had a a game there, and and, arguably, well, one of the two weaker teams in the group should United have taken a chance on Wooden. I mean, mean, if Ferguson doesn't have faith with him now, he's 21, he's probably never going to have faith with him, And, and in that kind of game with the need to play a centre-back instead of Carrick who uh, basically that has never worked this season I think I think he had one good game at Wolfsburg didn't he years ago you know three or four years ago where he did well there and I think every other time I've seen him at centre-back it's been a real problem you know he might have good dis- defensive instincts doesn't mean he defends in the right way at centre-back
0: I mean the, the thing is we've talked a lot about the problems that United have experienced in the past week but it's been two wins and two great fun, spectacularly effective attacking performances. Seven goals in two games. Goals for all of our strikers as well, because of course, after the the, the triple threat show uh, against Stoke, it was Chichi's turn to come and prove that he's definitely to be considered a vital part of this picture. I mean, that game against Braga might be his best performance that I remember. His best all-round performance I can remember in the United shirt. Obviously it'll be remembered for his two goals, but his all-round play was phenomenal. His link up, his his strength on the ball, just uh, his his ability to bring players into play with his back to goal. Unusual, not the things that you necessarily associate with chicharrito
1: So ex-Birchy yeah. uh, from the beautifully red site put up five moments of the the week, uh, as he does with every game, and and one of them was a wonderful turn from Hernandez on the left wing and a sprint down the wing and and then a, a crossfield ball with the outside of his foot. It's the kind of thing he would have really hashed up, I think, previously, and and clearly this is an area he must have been working on because, uh, as you say. Uh, it appears to have improved somewhat and he, I think he kind of has to right you know if, if competition breeds innovation then he's going to have to adapt his game isn't he because he's got more serious competition in attacking areas than for many years or at least the time that he's been at the club and it's not just the strikers obviously Rooney Welbeck and Van Persie but the fact that there are other flexible attacking players around him Nani's out of the team at the moment Ashley Young's only just come back Kagawa is in and out of the team and he's the only man who really only plays in one position that makes him more vulnerable i think in, in ferguson's thinking so he does have to up his game interesting that this week there were a rush of stories about him potentially moving abroad this time not to real madrid who've been the longtime suitors but to atletico and i wonder whether that was uh, you know his agent just uh, putting the word out there that that he may be prepared to move on if he doesn't get a few more games
0: yeah, it would be really good timing to do that because, you know, he's just started to make a, a shout for himself to be thought of as definitely in the rotation and and Fergie said exactly that. He's given me something to think about and I'm sure we'll see Chicharito in one of the two games against Chelsea if not making an appearance in both. A word for a formerly much criticised young Manchester United player who has had another two phenomenal games and has managed to get through the first couple of months of the season unharmed. Rafael De Silva his brother might be off fighting British secret
1: agents in Moscow but but Raphael's having a heck of a season he's really having a great season his best one for United I think he's put in these kind of performances before but it hasn't always been consistent and as Ferguson said sometimes he behaved in a rash manner so he might have had a fine game and then got himself sent off or got himself out of position and conceded the goal but I think arguably he's United's best defender this season isn't he I mean, both in the attacking and defensive sense he there appears to be a new authority about his defending as well I think he's turned into the the kind of defender that we all hoped Uh, someone had a go at me this week for on twitter for being overly positive about some united plays i mean that's got to have been the first time (laughs) ever that that's happened but i think our comments about tom cleverly a and positivity about Raphael uh, irked this one particular twitter reader
0: that's weird Uh, yeah that's not not normally the problem that you have with people's perception of your comments on football is it Ed? I must be getting soft in my old age talking of defenders who've made a phenomenal contribution both in attack and defence probably our second best defender this season has been Johnny Messi uh, who popped up with another absolutely spectacular goal even Leo wouldn't have thought to dummy his first shot attempt in order to thoroughly confuse the defence and let his second one score the goal against Braga phenomenal stuff Part of the reason that the defence was so Sort of collapsible at the back But he made up for it with, with goals And actually you know he, he's he's put in some pretty good individual performances Given he's played in such mixed Back fours and talking of playing in mixed Back fours I want to say another word about De Gea I just find it very difficult to Tolerate the nonsense talked about Him and, and I just think that people's Expectation of him is absolutely ridiculous uh, That he wouldn't suffer For playing in such a kind of The porousness of the midfield the instant stability of personnel in the back four and his own in uncertainty about whether he has the number one shirt or not i mean what do people want from from a, a young player
1: it's it's extraordinary really Well, and you could ask the same thing of Alex Ferguson as well. What does he want from a young player? We're still on this rotation thing. It's clearly going to happen all season. I don't suppose that is helping him either. You know, okay, maybe that's conventional thinking. Maybe Alex Ferguson has found the way in the rotation of goalkeepers after a hundred and odd years of having goalkeepers in football is is suddenly the, the way of doing things. I'm not sure it's helping De Gea. I don't think his performances have been terrible. He has looked a little bit uncertain against Newcastle, a couple of weeks ago he still makes the odd mistake uh, I think he's a young player that's still developing he is still only 22 he, he's a player of which there is much much hope and potential but it is still open potential but I think most people recognize that there there's you know a huge amount of talent there and you know you've got to foster it in the best way uh, I've seen some arguments uh, that said uh, this is a good thing it, they're bedding him down in some way and I, again I think that's nonsense he's been at the club over a year now and as Lindegar's been at the club over eight months so isn't it about time that Ferguson chose
0: uh, yeah absolutely I mean you know it's been a while since we've seen Lindegaard he's apparently injured isn't he so uh, we may not be seeing him against Chelsea and then you'd, you'd think that the young boy whose name I've forgotten will be the keeper against Chelsea in the Carling Cup although De Gea of course played the previous
1: Carling Cup well yeah yeah who knows I mean yeah Lindegaard's injury isn't going to be that serious but I think he'll miss the Chelsea game so De Gea will play well, I guess that'll be a third game in a row and then I think he'll probably play the cup game as well so I- I'm not Sure that Sam Johnson will come in for that one I mean it's, it's such a big game I can't imagine Ferguson's going to play a whole rash of kids so yeah I I, I think DeHale will play that one too which is good I think you know that'd be four games in a row there's got to be a record that's what we like to see so yeah I, I, I'm really enjoying United this season I think
0: we're a load of fun Um, and it is unfortunate that we keep being defensively terrible and surely at some point that's really going to cause us a pretty significant problem but for now you know I'm enjoying the fact that we have have all the firepower to get back into these games, and I have to say, once we got one in the Braga game, I was pretty confident we were going to win it. And United have not felt like that to me for quite some time. The same with the Stoke game. The Stoke game actually uh, wasn't. After we scored, I was pretty confident we were going to win it. It was all the, there was. I kind of had no doubt that we'd have a really strong second half and and would be too much for them. But I do think the fact that the first five minutes of our games has been so atrocious. It, there's got to be something going on. I have no idea what to put it down to apart from
1: instability of lineup and. And combinations of formation trouble and, and personnel trouble. Right, maybe there's like a concentration in there. I mean, coming coming back to the attacking stuff. I mean, I, I agree. United can be really good to watch at times this season. Arguably, you know, with some caveats, the best attack attacking lineup in Europe. You know, not not you can't fit them all into the same team at the same time. But the amount of talent there is in attacking areas is huge. There are problems in other areas though, and United are going to have to compromise that attacking. I think unless we believe that we can outscore superior opponents in the same way that we're outscoring you know less less able opponents i would suggest that that's not normally a winning formula
0: no, it's it's not, and that is uh, that is problematic, but, you know, to be honest, I would rather support us trying to outscore everyone, and I guess I'd rather we played boring football and won everything, just about, but, I don't know, it's close, you know, I, I, if we're going to be competitive in major competitions whilst being ridiculously swashbuckling, then I, I'm all for it, frankly, and, and you know, I like the fact that we're trying to change our style, and there's inevitably a kind of period of transition associated with that, and I like the fact that, you know, we signed Van Persie and Van Persie was absolutely magnificent against Stoke. There was a period of about twenty minutes leading up to the point at which he scored, where he was just—he was just, you know, for that twenty minutes, he was the best player on the planet. Linking everything, his passing was sumptuous, his decision making was wonderful, and it was just always going to end in a goal. And I am developing, right. developing a worrying football crush on Robin van Persie because I, you know, I, I didn't—I wasn't sure I was going to take to him, frankly. Just oh, it's great having him around.
1: Right. Well, look—he's a—he's a player at the very peak of his powers, and for his game. A uh, humorous this one and uh, the Arsenal AGM asked why Van Persie was sold. The answer came back that uh, he was sold for footballing reasons. <laughs> the same footballing reasons that kept Rio Ferdinand
0: out of the England squad. Talking of which let's forget all this fun football stuff and talk about the serious matter of the week. Alex Ferguson and Rio Ferdinand are t-shirts. I cannot tell you how relieved I was by the outcome of this situation because there was a period there on the morning after where there were some very frightening things being talked about and and I was slightly scared about what that would mean for the future of the rank cast to be honest Ed
1: yeah I, I mean I have to say I was I was uh, pretty appalled by Ferguson's initial reaction you know so F- Ferdinand hasn't won the t-shirt the day before Ferguson has unilaterally decided that everybody will be wearing the Kick It Out t-shirt uh, it's quite obvious that quite a few players have a problem with how Kick It Out have managed the two major racism incidents this year I've got a problem with how they, they've managed it and I'm a white guy so uh, I can understand and why a number of black players in the country are unimpressed by how Kikiya have done it because they, they've come across as extremely compromised and unwilling to bite the hand that feeds them and what's the point of a pressure group if they're, they're, they're so compromised, you know? And that's not to say they haven't done great work in the past but that's in the past and right now and here in the present their, their summary of the John Terry's four-match ban which most people think is extremely lenient was to say, we note that John Terry has been banned Right, yeah, That's that was going to get everyone really fired up wasn't it so i I can understand why rio did what he did i couldn't understand ferguson's reaction to jason roberts i thought he was being extremely myopic in his comments on the friday and i thought that myopia carried over into his reaction to rio not wearing it and and the implicit threat that he'll be dealt with did get me worried and there were were pieces in the papers that fernand was going to be fined or punished in some way by the club for not wearing that t-shirt and i mean that worried me because it's uh I, i think in a question of conscience like this it's not for the club to dictate how players act Uh, this isn't a commercial arrangement i I thought a lot of supporters didn't get that point which is odd and kind of this thing where whatever ferguson says or does has to be right uh, came out and i'm pretty disappointed by that because it was wrong completely so i was really worried for a while and i was very glad when ferguson backed down and and it was a climb down and he might have blamed it on a lack of communication but the communication failure was on his part was his failure not to check with his squad how are they Going to behave and I don't think it was Ferdinand's responsibility not in the slightest to, to go to Ferguson and say by the way boss I'm doing this because he he wasn't the person who created that situation it was Ferguson
0: I I come to praise Ferguson not to bury him I think his initial words were I, I, I literally I literally this is, ridic- this is ridiculous and says more about me than him but I wasn't a million miles away from throwing up when I heard what he said it's absolutely terrifying to hear him be disciplinarian and patriarchal about this situation and it was incredibly ill-judged language and an incredibly inopportune time to invoke the kind of notions of team discipline and what Ferguson says goes and all that kind of nonsense, you know, which which has its place and, and has been a huge part of the way he's run United all these years obviously, but yes, I, I literally felt like a bit like someone had just punched me I couldn't believe what I was hearing and I thought we were falling down a rabbit hole where United turned into Liverpool, you know what I mean? Um, right? Uh, but fortunately exactly the opposite happened and this is this is where I think Ferguson deserves immense credit because I think that in life there's almost nothing more impressive than admitting tacitly or overtly that you're wrong especially if you're a person with a massive ego whose, whose kind of whole job and persona and all that is based around that ego like you know Ferguson's ego is central to Manchester United's success but he realised that this was not the time for that and he, he kind of acknowledged Rio, he was extremely respectful. You know, he said that that they'd sat down and Rio had explained his position, and he was kind of impressed with the clarity of Rio's position and, and the, the passion that he had for that position. And brilliant, uh, fantastic! What a great outcome for this. And what's happened actually is that there's been a huge amount of publicity around this event. Both Rio and in the end, Fergie come out of it looking good, and the issue is put right at the forefront. In a broader sense, the stuff about kick it out. There's there's another side to that to not wearing the t-shirt which is about saying to the FA and the powers that be you just, you can't, this is a completely token gesture which you're not backing up with action, your support for the Kick It Out campaign is instead of doing things, you know, it's not doing something about racism, you're using this tiny pressure group as an excuse not to have to actually do anything about real racism when it really happens on the pitch and then the Ferdinands went on to release a statement about John Terry and Ashley Cole which was extremely measured,
1: extremely dignified and Smart. I think Rio's right, basically, and I think it is. This is a good thing, right? It could have turned into a really, really bad thing where United did have a Liverpool-esque PR disaster. And I, I was, you know, I was chatting to people about this, and and I thought we were on the cusp, you know, because I thought Ferguson was so wrong, so myopic with his reaction. But it's turned out okay in the end. We'll see with Ferguson. I mean, I was a bit kind of concerned that he didn't get it, and but but I think Rio's done a great job leading this. He's led the debate. He's shown up the limitations of the system. So. The fact that the principal pressure group in here is tied into the FA financially. Herman Owsley, the chairman of Kick It Out, was quite reactionary, I thought, and uh, name-checked Ferdinand when it was actually you know about 20 players who didn't wear the shirt, and I was a little disappointed by that as well, to be honest. And, and I wonder whether there'll be changes as a result because there kind of has to be because if Kick It Out has lost the respect of senior, you know, established, respected black players, it's kind of lost its mandate basically to do to do what it does, and and someone in the campaign has to realise that they do need to move on. More importantly, the PFA needs to move on and start putting pressure on the FA. But unfortunately the FA doesn't have an independent might call them independent panels, but they're really not independent, so it doesn't have an independent disciplinary system, which is why we've got ourselves in such a mess. And it doesn't have the processes to enable it to act quickly. There's a really good piece by Matt Scott in the Times, a former Guardian journalist. I don't know whether you used to read the digger column but he's he's always uh, gets to the heart of the matter quite succinctly I think Matt Scott and so he made a very good point about the length of the process which is one of the principal problems that Ferdinand has I think and and all the things that came out of John Terry case were associated with the length of the process and the fact that Terry and Charles were able to game the system But he, he made a very good point that because it was a magistrate's court there was no jury there so all the arguments about prejudicing the case are false because under law magistrates are considered above prejudice so there was no reason whatsoever for the, te- the FA to delay their hearing they shouldn't have done it quite simply, and and they did, and they did it to benefit England, and to benefit Chelsea, and to benefit John Terry, and I can quite understand why people are angry about that, completely aside from the fact that Terry got a four-match ban for calling a black player an effing black C-word, you know?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, and and there's a broader point which I also really hope that if it had happened at United, uh, that player wouldn't be a United player anymore, and certainly wouldn't be captain, lead, and legend. I'm absolutely sure that my opinion of this situation would be would register differently in my psyche if it was a man united player because of a different relationship with man united players but i really really hope that my intellect would kick in and want that person to be out of the club out of the game you know all that kind of stuff if ryan giggs did it not that I think that's a particularly likely outcome. You've got to think about it in those terms, what that player means to Chelsea. I mean, it's kind of bizarre that a player with that kind of moral character means something like that to, to Chelsea, but like Giggs, he was, you know, allegedly had a many year long affair with his brother's wife, so he's hardly a moral authority. But you know what I, You know what I'm saying, Ed? I, I just, I worry about how much the tribalism just affects the way you sort of instinctively feel about these situations.
1: Of course, now ask yourself this question, it's, it's the question you're asking, if that was a United player, what would you want to happen? And and answer it honestly, and if, if you're not mature enough to say, I'd like to see that player banned, shamed, sacked because I think a lot of us were calling for Terry to be sacked, which is uh, Chelsea's policy and then, then we're hypocrites, right? So it's quite simple really. I, I don't expect any United players to do that, ever, because I, I don't think that's the character of any of the players at the club, but having said that, you never know. You know it would be a real test of United's maturity as a club and Liverpool was exposed uh, as uh, has been very childish in their reaction. Chelsea have been extremely duplicitous, I think, deviously so. And we'll see with other clubs when it happens to them because, like, for all the talk of, of the English game having moved beyond racism, despite these two instances, there is no hope that racism will be eliminated from the game, unfortunately, because it exists in wider society. Sorry, that's a cliche, but, but it's true, isn't it? It's absolutely key. So, on a slightly different but somewhat related note, you mentioned
0: independence at the FA, and I remember... few years ago when a certain David Dean was uh, running Arsenal and was vice chairman at the FA you were very upset by that and alleged that a few decisions had definitely gone in Arsenal's favour rather than United's are you expecting the situation to be reversed now that that bastion of noble diligence and footballing goodness David Gill is the FA, FA vice chairman as at happy hero says now that David Gill is the FA vice chairman will he be hated even more by all free thinking
1: football fans oh I should hope so so, yeah, there's some uh, great politics going on here. So, so Gil's ultimate job is in U- UEFA. That's where he's wanting to go, I think, in terms of the power. I, I don't necessarily think he- he's looking for the UEFA presidency because he'd have to give up his uh, very lucrative job with the Glazer family, but he's he's definitely want to get someone in the executive committee there. Platini's not a Gil fan, I don't believe, and and I think a lot of that dates back to the fact that Gil is, uh, has proven himself to be extremely two-faced. So he might be one of the strongest supporters of financial. Financial fair play in Europe and therefore you'd think Platini would want him to be involved but there's a specific reason he's a very strong supporter of that. Is because the Glazer family isn't it suits United's debt leverage at the moment because financial fair play is not about debt it's about spending and that's very very different Will coming back to the question Will United get any favourable decisions? No I don't think so I don't think that's the way the FA works yeah you know I know we complained about David David Dean and I'm being a complete hypocrite of course you know (laughs) I suppose it's better from a purely selfish United point of view that david gill's in there you know maybe he'll have some influence i'd i'd be really surprised whether a vice chairman would be able to have any direct influence but you know it will add what, it will add what it. i can't believe i'm hearing you say this ed go 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 find any quotes i've said on the record about david dean yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's all hearsay <laughs>
0: Yep, yep 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 I mean obviously it's ridiculous though isn't it um, forget about the selfish point of view it's just how the FA can maintain any veneer of independence and then give the kind of most powerful biggest club in the lands chief executive a job as vice chairman it's just completely bizarre
1: well look, look the issue is, is not whether it's Manchester United or any other club or anything like that it's the it's the independence of the regulatory body from the corporations that it's trying to regulate yeah, absolutely so if, if the chairman of, of E.ON was on the board of off-gen, everyone would be crying foul, wouldn't they? So you want industry experts to be in that position, but they have to be independent, they have to be seen to be independent, there can't be conflicts of interest, and, and that's why the FA isn't fit for purpose in its current structure. Yeah,
0: no, absolutely, no no question about that whatsoever, and uh, yeah, David Gill is probably a baddie, I think we can all agree about that, uh, although some people don't, some people are like, why does everyone always have a go at David Gill? Check the record, yo, you know, because he said that leveraged debt is a design- disastrous cancer on football clubs and then wholeheartedly threw his support behind the Glazer regime and everyone was like oh if it was if it was your job you wouldn't give it up I'm like no I definitely definitely would actually I would go and get another lucrative job because I could just walk into one because I was David Gill you know what I mean it's ridiculous talking of things that were ridiculous how about some Twitter questions no Anyone? Are you with me? Tumbleweed. At the Stretti Ender asks a very interesting question. Why do people have a problem with kids counting down at half-time and full-time? They're the future supporters of the club. Anyone who dislikes it needs to kick up the backside. Leave the kids be. I'm with you. They're kids. It's all right, you know.
1: Yeah, I can I can tell you when it's kids, when it's organised counting down, then then I, I can't abide it. I, I know when a game starts and I'm pretty sure I know when a game finishes as well because, you know, that, that thing that the referees put in their mouths, you know, and it goes peep, that kind of tells you when it's happened. Just not touching that last sentence
0: with... Anyway. No, and also, there's... It's completely... The only thing I don't like about it is counting down to 90 minutes is redundant because there's injury time in football, so you're you're really counting down... You know, it's very arbitrary what you're actually counting down to. I have no problem with, with the kids. Uh, I quite like it when you hear a little... Yeah, no, I did! You know, you know, it's good. It's it's sort of heartwarming in a weird way. And frankly, quite often they outsing the rest of the crowd. So you know, although gorgeous to see the return of Ferguson's red and white army, it's been so long and it is back with a vengeance, isn't it?
1: It's still a fine song. Not very creative, but you know, it, it generates a brilliant atmosphere. I think. And on another point, I'm a bit disturbed about your love of the kids. Oh. You know. <laughs> in, in today's media landscape, Paul, we have we have to w- watch out for broadcasters with that kind of tone. I, I think there should be an inquiry about this. See,
0: it's unacceptable. It, it, it's the, the death of innocence. That's the problem, isn't it? I think, I think we should do
1: the BBC and investigate ourselves. All right, well, I've done it and I'm clean, so there you go. I, I've, I've heard you're quite good at investigating yourself. Now, shall we? Let's move on, shall we?
0: <laughs> I'm really upset by the tone that this conversation has taken. So someone with a Twitter name, Sir Alex, uh, let's just check, at GeorgePenny16, not sure it's actually the real Sir Alex, says, why haven't we sold Nani? play Bebe instead not even joking because Nani's really good uh he's just having a bit of a problem at the moment with finding the part of himself that's really good at football yeah uh,
1: although some bizarre quotes from Nani this week yeah uh, including the one that uh, was only God knows where my future lies which he borrowed from Cristiano another thing he borrowed from Cristiano just a bit you know lightweight and Chris- Cristiano came across as sincere when he thought that only God knew his future well-ish.
0: He meant only God knows my future and that I'm definitely going to Real Madrid unquestionably but then when I leave you're all going to miss me. We were singing when we were losing to Stoke we were singing Viva Ronaldo and I know this is this is on the subject of hypocrisy. If it had been Cantona that we were singing about I would have no problem with this whatsoever. But I think that's because Eric's not playing anymore and retired at his peak. He didn't leave us for another team for his peak. It just always feels like we're singing oh Viva Ronaldo I wish he was here He could make everything alright again and we'd just definitely win all our football matches again. Viva Ronaldo. It is a lament. It is, that's it, exactly. It's the Viva Ronaldo lament. When we're winning, no problem with it whatsoever. Then it's just the celebration of an ex-player. That's that's fine, no problem with that. Talking of United Chance, Awate has asked us to mention on the rantcast that Chicharito's song should definitely be the one based on Let It Be, and I agree with that. Uh, we've been asked by Birchy if we had to choose a band to make a rantcast musical special, who would it be? I don't know, but I quite like
1: the idea of rankcast on Broadway. Rant the musical.
0: Yeah, that'd be good. I think I'd go with the roses. Get the stone roses to do it. I, I think it should be that Dutch rap band I, I put on the
1: rankcast a couple of years ago.
0: I think it should be the boss and over band you saw whilst you were hanging out with Eric Cantona. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't call exactly call it a band, it was a very fat lady and some old guys. Sounds like a band to me. My favourite Twitter question of the week comes from At No Heroes here. He says if you were stranded on a desert island and and which member of the 1999 squad other than Roy Keane would you want to be stranded with and why? I like the way you have to get rid of Roy Keane because obviously two things about the Roy Keane thing. On one hand, I get it. Yeah, he's clearly the person that's most likely to save both of your lives. But isn't he also the person that's most
1: likely to kill and eat you to preserve his own survival? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to answer that question now you've brought up the subject of cannibalism. Yeah, we, we all the cutting edge issues here on Rank Maybe Schmeichel because he's, he's a beast. He could probably swim the Pacific, couldn't he? Yeah, uh, that's a quite a good one.
0: I, I wonder whether it would... I would just have to pick Skullsy because if you need a coconut, what you do is you just get like a rock or something and get him to kick it at the coconuts and then they'll definitely fall down. So that would be good. And then I think it might be quite fun to hang out with Dwight York for ages. I think, you know, he might be quite a good laugh
1: in that situation. On a desert island. Yeah, he'd, he'd find the,
0: the local party. I quite like playing poker, so Teddy Sheringham would be good because he's a pretty good poker player.
1: Very good. On the subject of players and their their slightly quirky habits, uh, Wayne Rooney has endorsed Barack Obama for the US presidency. So, you know, politics, we like to cover a little bit here on Rant, and and apparently so does the United Squad. Rooney watched all the debates and has decided Obama's his man.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I promised that I wouldn't sing on this week's Rantcast, but if you just excuse me for less than 30 seconds, I saw my mate the other day, he said I'd seen the third debate, so I asked who will win. He said definitely not Mitt Romney, Wayne Rooney, Wayne Rooney, he's not going to vote for Mitt
1: Romney. Unless he's taken up US citizenship in the last couple of weeks and we haven't known about it, I don't think he's going to be voting for Obama either what he actually said was if I had to vote
0: <laughs> it's not like if I had the potential to vote in the American election if a series of circumstances happened where like say it was a complete deadlock and like Ohio was the deciding vote and, and they couldn't decide who wins so they just have to pick a person at random from the world out of a hat and it ended up being Wayne Rooney then then we know we'd, we'd all be safe for another four years and marginally
1: less likely that the holocaust will happen in the next four years you know I can understand why Rooney might not like Mitt Romney he, given he's a t- and uh, probably not for shagging grannies either.
0: Right, so two slightly more serious questions now. One which I'd like to ask you, because I'm not sure what your answer would be. At Brandon Ulrich 2 has asked us what our favourite book is about United. I think my favourite United book, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like The Manager's Diary from the 94-95 season that, that was pretty good they, they don't do them any anymore but they used to do them every year for a little bit and it's just Fergie's thoughts on a week to week basis about the way the club's going and it's actually quite insightful for a football book although it's obviously fairly whitewashed but still
1: and, and obviously Keane's autobiography Keane's autobiography is pretty good I've been thinking about this for a little while and I, I can't think of a good United book at all Jim White's Manchester United biographies. It's a decent history uh, a couple of my favourite sports related books I think they're not really United related they're Bill Buffard's Among the Thugs which is really outstanding look at Hooliganism definitely recommend that that's from around about the 1990s and sorry to say it but I really liked Moneyball as well I thought that was an excellent book before all the hype and the the ridiculous association with Liverpool and and all of that that's another one from the 90s which is a very good study for you stats nerds which includes me
0: yeah and Why England Lose Uh, reprinted as well originally printed and then reprinted again as Soccernomics is an excellent general book actually I have to say I'm really excited about reading Man United uh, it's called Best 11 Manchester United um, and it's available on Amazon from at Sam Pilger There's an excerpt on it that Scott from the Republic of Mancunia linked to from the by far the greatest team blog uh, which I think Scott's connected to and yeah so it's an extract on the Keane chapter it's brilliantly written a really interesting look at Roy Keane so I'm planning to buy that for £3.99 I'll report back to you in, in a few weeks whether or not that has
1: become my favourite book about United right uh, this is the one by Daniel Taylor was very good about Ferguson, the, the book that uh, got him banned from Old Trafford. Funny thing was that Ferguson has never read the book, but banned him anyway. And uh, it's really not that salacious. It's I wouldn't exactly call it a love story, but it's not that far off.
0: At Liz Worsley asks, do you think Kagawa looks like a good buy, given that Rooney's playing so well and that T-Clevs is trying to prove himself?
1: Well, he, he's become a squad player at the moment, Kagawa, and I think we hoped at the start of the season that he'd become a bit more than that and be a real star, but a part a part of the issue here is Ferguson's tinkered with the tactics so much, so if United had played that 4-2-3-1 that it looked like we were going to play all the way through, then Kagawa at the, in the hole made a lot of sense, but I think we talked about it before, it was always going to be two into three slots there, and we... we pondered whether it might be Rune or, or Kagawa that be sacrificed didn't necessarily think they'd be sacrificed out of the team altogether but one of them might be pushed left and it, it seems that Kagawa's in and out of the side at the moment and the diamond might suit him I, I, I think he's just not going to be used in the most effective way if he's not at the point of the diamond and uh, he, he's not going to be the player through which all the play goes so he's still a good buy his young season bedding in, into English football is not a disaster but unless uh, Ferguson uses him in the right way we're not going to get the most out of him I completely agree with that I still think there's a huge amount to come from him, actually. And I said that at the beginning of the season, you had a go at me for it. <laughs> yeah, no, I and didn't. That exact, that exact phrase.
0: I thought he'd had a really excellent game in that game. Let's not have an argument. We had about four times at the beginning of the season. At Rough Estate, mate, wrote a really interesting piece on football blog, which is nobodylikesthesmartarse.tumblr, I think, which is just about her love of Shinji Kagawa in terms of the potential that he offers in, in of something exciting being just about to happen.
1: There are two games in the week coming up and we ought to look at those before we close down the show for the week and they're both against Chelsea so shall we preview them as a double header? It's a bit like baseball isn't it?
0: <laughs> it is, it is, it's exactly like that we, We've got, we got a series coming up against the Blues of London. Chelsea are in town or rather we're in their town for two fixtures back to back one in the Premiership and the second in the Capital One Cup. That second one must be the most important because it's got the most important Impressive sounding sponsor.
1: Sorry, I don't know what happened. I, I just stepped away from the microphone and there's some American dude here. Anyway. You've got to take the whistle in more often, you know, Paul. You have to evenly space it out. I'm really
0: concerned about the first of these two fixtures. I don't care very much about the second one, but if I did,
1: I would be quite concerned about it concerning because Chelsea are playing okay at the moment aren't they and especially in an attacking sense they've got so many options and that could be a bit of a problem for our somewhat leaky defence it'd be interesting to see what kind of formation Ferguson goes for and whether United are open and go for it whether he plays the diamond again and tries to play really really narrow in order to try and close it down could be an issue because Chelsea can provide quite a bit of width if they want I can understand why you might be nervous about this one it's going to be a real tough fixture
0: yeah absolutely I mean you know there is the potential that this could be about 26 to 25 this game couldn't it talking of American sports scorelines because United and Chelsea have both been devastating going forward and slightly shaky looking at the back David Luiz and Gary Cahill not the world's most solid centre-back partnership but they have got such ridiculous attacking talent Azard, Oscar and Mata the three of them I mean that's three number tens that's that's it's one number 30 basically that's what they've got there it, it's fr- it's frightening stuff to to come up against and I mean it's almost mathematically impossible for this game to finish nil nil. I think.
1: Well, of course, you know, it's going to finish nil nil, isn't it? Because that's just what happened. So, yeah, there's a remarkable similarity, I think. Not, not just in the way they play the two teams player, though. You know, there's, it's, it's uh, not far off this season. But I think in terms of strengths and weaknesses as well. So Chelsea have got loads and loads of strength in attacking areas. So there were so many attacking players, so many players you can be really flexible and play in lots of different positions. It's kind of mirrored by United there. Chelsea's weakness is definitely in central midfield. They have a problem there, and they can't get the right balance... Lampard's out and waning anyway Mikel's rubbish and, and Ramirez has played in central midfield a couple of times he's not really a central midfielder so they, they are struggling to find that right kind of balance and and to try and fit Hazard and Mata and into the side in the right way I mean they've scored a lot of goals and got a lot of assists those two as well so and, and then at the back yeah you're uh, I think you're right Gary Cahill and David Luiz both decent players aren't they and, and uh, they're both great going forward and attacking as well C- Cahill scored some stunning goals already in his Chelsea career uh, but they they will be found out at the back just depends on how United's set up you know in, in games like this before when we felt a bit nervous about an opponent it, it's it part, partly I think that nervousness has come down to the fact not just the quality of the opponent but how Ferguson might approach the game and if United go there with a slightly negative mindset it almost sets the tone for the game but you know one thing that's, that might suggest that Ferguson won't do that is, is Park's no longer at the squad so he can't play his favourite defensive attacking midfielder in there
0: well, I was just going to say, uh, you know, unless unless he reaches out across West London and tries to get Park on loan for one game, we don't really have too many options of playing super defensively. I mean, you play Darren Fletcher, Paul Skulls and Michael Carrick in the centre of midfield. It's about as defensive as we can possibly get, really, unless he you know plays four centre backs and two fullbacks or something. I think I think he's just going to go for it because I think he knows that we we don't have the personnel to contain them, but we do have the personnel to cause them problems. And you know, I I, I really do think this game should be a very high scoring or certainly a large number of chances are going to be created in this game and I think it's going to come down to extremely narrow margins because as you say it was such evenly matched sides both in terms of strengths and weaknesses so you know it's huge And but you know I don't think the season hangs on this one because I I think the narrative of Chelsea and indeed our season is still very much in the balance you know the the Christmas period and all that kind of stuff and then and then of course you know it's it's, so it's such early days if we lose it's not a disaster
1: no it's not but it would be a seven point gap and that's, uh, that's it's significant but yeah not decisive by any means so it will come down to the details as always maybe a piece of brilliance or two uh, goalkeeping error or great save and of course um, the corresponding fixture last season De Gea pulled off arguably the save of the season didn't he so just keeping United in it very late on and that's a three-all draw and a great comeback from United so can we keep the concentration going to not concede in the first 10, 15, 20 minutes you know wouldn't wouldn't that be a massive bonus to keep it nice and tight for 20 minutes
0: brilliant a brilliant twitter question this week from at underscore man underscore utd who says who will score for chelsea before we come back to win it uh that's hashtag rank yeah so so ed who is your prediction for scoring chelsea's goal within the first five minutes
1: uh eden Azard yeah. I i guess yeah i mean he's he's a he's a really fine player a player i'd definitely have liked to have seen at united no the not really we're short of attacking players by any means
0: no, we, 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 that's really not where our problem lies, is it? They, they're welcome to... I think it might be the boy, Oscar, who is just... He's very good, isn't he?
1: He is very good, so yeah. I mean, he looks a little bit lightweight in some games, literally, because he's about 12 and three stone. But, yeah, you know, very, very talented player. I, mean, I, th- I think we saw in the Olympics that he was a very talented player then. So, yeah, I'm going with Oscar to score Chelsea's opener. And, I don't know, I, I just don't
0: know what to to say about the, the League Cup fixture because I, I don't know how he's going to play that much youth away at Chelsea as you said but there are lots of great options in the youth side and I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, maybe Lionel Cole on the bench assuming he's not injured but but if we do want to progress in this competition which I, I guess he probably probably will want us to because it will give him a chance to play some of those youth teamers if, if we get like a home draw against a, a weaker side but it's the worst draw we could have had isn't it?
1: Well it is yeah, yeah top team and, and they do tend to play quite a strong side in the, the Capital One Cup as well Chelsea so it's going to be a tough fixture in that one too I wouldn't expect United will play a whole rash of youngsters, I think. And basically, anyone who's not in the Premier League game will probably end up in the, the Carling game. There'll, there'll be quite a lot of changes, I think, because uh, don't United play Arsenal the week afterwards in the Premier League? So that's definitely the priority rather than the Capital 1 Cup. It's the Milk Cup, and I'll hear no-one call it anything else. Well, what about the Rumblows Cup? That's
0: pretty good. <laughs> oh, that was great. Man, imagine if, like, I don't know, we, we should. if I was a really, really eccentric mega-billionaire, I might just sponsor it for a season to call it the Rumblows Cup again. Rumble-O's such a low-rent sounding brand, isn't it? You know, anyway, this one could rumble on forever. Oh. I, I'm going to predict that we're going to lose both games, so wow. two losses for Man United, I'm, I'm sorry to say. I, I, it's I, your
1: positivity that drags you down, Paul. <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm very positive about us being, okay. I think we're going to win the league, but I think we might lose these two fixtures. 2-1 to Chelsea, and then maybe, maybe even 3-1 to Chelsea in that next game, and then we're going to come back with a win the following week.
1: Right, well, I'm going to predict a two in the premier league and i think chelsea will win that the carling cup game because i think they will probably more likely to play a stronger side so i'm gonna say two nil to chelsea in the carling cup capital one cup <laughs> capital one cup get the branding right ed you see what we need is is a diktat out to bloggers saying yeah you, know, you must call it the barclays premier league you must call it the fa cup sponsored by whoever the fuck you must call it the capital one cup
0: um, yeah or we could just agree to just call it the League Cup and let the sponsors you know not get the satisfaction of us naming their brand every time we mention the, the competition which is what they want it is on the basis that we do not call it the Barclays
1: Premier League we'll just call it the League Cup shall we okay League Cup FA Cup Premier League I still I don't even like Premier League let's just call it First Division shall we yeah the league title all right there you go and old school at the rant. it's not the FIFA World Cup it's just the World Cup all right and the- European Cup there you go it's old school for the rest of the season on this show kick branding out of football uh, well, talking of which uh, fantastic banner at Ajax this week against modern football it said <laughs> love it love it <laughs> Oh, it was lovely, wasn't it, watching them batter City? It was. I, I love the juxtaposition of that. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to butt in there, but um, the juxtaposition of, of the against-modern football pitcher with uh, Arsenal's AGM and a few of the journalists were tweeting around the, the, the price of the fish and chips that was brought up at the AGM, apparently, which is £13.90. For fish and chips, £13.90. The IX fans know what's going on, though, don't they, with their Don't worry
0: about a thing Because every little thing is going to be all right
1: Apart from the price of fish and chips at Arsenal Well, quite, yeah, and uh, City out of Europe, yeah Well, not quite, but it looks like one point from three games Poor old City, and you see money doesn't buy you everything It it certainly doesn't buy you happiness, we know that to be true What does buy you happiness,
0: though, is Chicharito smiling as he scores the last minute Well, not last minute, but a a a comeback winner against a lowly opposition and it's really interesting we sort of march on in the Premier League just within touching distance of Chelsea and we're top of the group in Europe and it's all been a bit chaotic so far this season but as I said right at the beginning of the show I am really enjoying it, it has, it has been a lot of fun and I'm I'm prepared to put up with our ridiculous defending
1: for the sake of good times you know. Well good times in next week maybe, maybe not, apparently you don't think so but uh, let, let's hope United surprise, you never know they have had a lot of victories at Stamford Bridge over the last 10 years, so and maybe, maybe we're owed one. Let's hope it's in the First Division rather than the League Cup.
0: And before we go, we've got a little competition, as is the way of the RankCast this season. A listener, a very kind and generous listener, at May underscore Peng, M-E-I, who you may remember once upon a time put a little shout out to see if he could find love in Austin through the RankCast, which is perhaps ill-advised, ill but nevertheless, he's very kindly provided us with a code for FIFA Ultimate Teams on the 360. So it's a pre-order bonus. I think done it straight away when we've only just got this, but there would have been originally 24 teams. I think now you'll, you'll get 90 or 20 packs or something like that certainly a decent amount for all you FIFA ultimate teamers out there and I know there's a lot of you so it's for a pre-order code for 360 and it should work worldwide if you want to win that all you have to do is tweet at me using the hashtag RankCast with who is in your Manchester United ultimate team and you're not allowed to say any of the Holy Trinity or Cantona Brian Robson or anyone that was in the 1999 squad or Cristiano Ronaldo so there you go those those you're not allowed to have and you can have anyone else and give us the reason white and we'll choose the one that makes us laugh the most see you next week folks
1: see you then